Welcome to my Sober BFF. This episode is going to be amazing. We have Elle from Yoga Buzz um, here with us today. So say hello, Elle. Hello. If you want to introduce yourself, that's totally cool. Sure. I mean, I'm, I'm, how, how does one introduce oneself? Um, I'm, I'm Elle Brodsky and I uh, am a yoga teacher. I run a nonprofit here in St. Louis and, um, and I am a newer, a newish mom to a 15 month old. That is so exciting. I wanted to also just kind of talk you up a little bit more because that was a super modest introduction. You have some amazing things like going on. So um, not only are you the founder of Yoga Buzz, but you have quite a list of certifications and study and things that are super important, especially given the current social climate. Um, For example, I'd like to talk about um, your participation in yoga as a peace practice with the Black Yoga Teachers Alliance. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about that a little bit? Mm-hmm. Right now, you want to? Yes. All right. Um, so for those of you that are listening, spoiler alert, I'm a white woman who oh, teaches yeah. yoga in, um, in the West. Um, and uh, I had the incredible uh, opportunity to join yoga as a peace practice, which is this uh, sort of cornerstone program from the Black Yoga Teachers Alliance. Um, the yoga, the Black Yoga Teachers Alliance is an organization dedicated to supporting Black yoga teachers um, and is open to anybody who wants to support Black yoga teachers. Um, and so their, their programming of Yoga as a Peace Practice is, is this, uh, or was this weekend-long training that came to St. Louis last summer uh, to talk about using... Um, yoga as a peace practice really is like how can we use the the physical practice of yoga as well as integration of the ethical practice of yoga into creating um, individual wellness as well as community wellness Um, because they both you know they both impact one another and you have to have you have to have both you can't have one without the other or it's not effective Um, you know for for me having been teaching yoga for 12 years and having spent the majority of my time in primarily white spaces, as most of yoga is, um, to have the opportunity to sit in a group of predominantly people of color, to have conversations around yoga, to have conversations around yoga as a, as a resource for social justice and conscious activism, uh, was really um, uh, I don't even know what the right word is to not sound like I'm trivializing it, but it was a really powerful experience to, to be a part of, to witness and to just listen. Yeah. Awesome. And so um, just to give a little background for anybody who maybe hasn't followed uh, Allie and I and our podcast for a while. So both of us um, essentially grew up, I'll say in St. Louis and L yoga buzzes is, is that was founded here in St. Louis. And for anybody who might not know, even though I feel like uh, if you live in the United States, you're probably familiar with Ferguson back in 2014, it was sort of like the powder keg exploded with the Mike Brown incident. And um, that was kind of the catalyst for the Black Lives Matter movement and things and really started to shine light on disparities um, for me, especially in the wellness area. And so I feel like... uh, I would love for you to talk about how Yoga Buzz came to be and kind of what that looks like in the St. Louis community. Yeah. So Yoga Buzz came to be, um, the short, the short lead up to it, uh, is that I, uh, had a mental health crisis in the beginning of 2014 and sort of realized that I had, uh, or was diagnosed with a generalized anxiety disorder and realized I had had it my entire 30 years up until that point. So it was, it was a really jarring experience. And in the meantime, I was in a really, um, unhealthy, uh, uh relationship with my job, which was, um, 
funny enough, a yoga studio and was having really, really um, unhealthy boundaries, both of my own, as well as the people who I worked for. And uh, so long story short, I quit my job. It's the first time I've ever just up and quit a job. Uh, And it was the most heartbreaking and deliberating, liberating thing that I'd ever done. Um, And so I was just sort of like, you know what, I'm the next thing I do is going to be for myself. I keep working for these businesses and getting invested and feeling like I'm taking ownership. And the reality is, is it's not mine. Um, so then, uh, a couple months later, uh, I, uh, had the opportunity, my husband and I had been talking for a while about doing a yoga class at the Schlafly tap room in St. Louis, um, because we were aware that other places, other cities did yoga at breweries. And so it was like, well, my husband worked at Schlafly at the time. So let's, let's do it. We did it as a part of St. Louis craft beer week. I was like, we're going to do a yoga class at a brewery. It'll be a one-time thing. Maybe I'll get a handful of my friends to come. Uh, it's, it'll be fun. And, um, it sold out at a hundred people, uh, pretty quickly. Um, uh, other breweries started reaching out to me and were like, Hey, will you come do this here? And I was like, well, shoot, I just started a business. Um, oops. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> that's really how, how it originally started. And my husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, uh, or actually we'd just gotten engaged, irrelevant, um, was just like, you know, why don't you sit down and write, uh, brainstorm a list of words, like buzzwords in the yoga world, and I'll write a list of buzzwords in beer, and we can maybe come up with a fun name with a yoga and beer buzzword. And I was like, oh, yoga buzz. And he's like, okay. And I'm like, well, it's, it's what you call the feeling at the end of the yoga class. It's a yoga buzz, but it's a double entendre because there's going to be beer afterwards. And, uh, and he was like, okay, cool. Well, why don't you go ahead and brainstorm? And I was like, I already bought the URL, like just getting the Facebook group, like <laughs> it's, it's done. This is it. So, um, so that was really where we, where we started. Uh, and I knew immediately that I wanted there to be some sort of a socially conscious part to whatever it was we did, because I had worked for too many yoga businesses that were just hot messes and, uh, were, I wanted to go a different way. Um, so that was July of 2014. In August 2014 is when Michael Brown was killed. I'm not from St. Louis. I had been here for just a couple years at that point. Um, and so it really uh, awakened me to specifically the understanding of the St. Louis area. And I was very naive, very naive. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and so in probably September, I think we ended up doing an event at the Ferguson Brewing Company. And I was like, this is great. We're going to go and we were doing something to raise money for a local organization as a part of this event that we were doing more yoga buzz. And I was like, this is going to be great. We sold it out and I walked in and it was a bunch of white ladies. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here feeling at this point, six to eight events in like, man, we're making yoga accessible because we're taking it out of the yoga studio setting, which can be intimidating. And then realized we're making it accessible for the same demographic that already has access to this practice that, that might not feel comfortable in a yoga studio for their own personal reasons, but the yoga studio is basically built to cater to them, whether or not they feel comfortable in it. Right. Right. So I, I had sort of this moment of like, okay, so then what does accessible mean and how am I going to, uh, how am I going, what am I going to do with this information? And I had a conversation that I recently uh, remembered. I'd kind of forgotten about that night, had a conversation with a woman who uh, was in law school at the time and is a, a lawyer now. And we were talking about like, man, this is just white people. Like, and we're in Ferguson and I know I, I have an understanding now of this community, like what's going on here. So we got into a conversation about essentially inequity as far as uh, well-being and health goes, right? And she was talking about how when she worked for this particular organization, I couldn't tell you what she was doing. She had a conversation with uh, with a black man about exercise, and he's like, "I can't, I can't afford to go to a gym." And she was like, "You know, the the um, the option of like, well, why don't you just go for a run through your neighborhood?" And he's like, "Yeah, I, I can't do that either." And it was sort of this this like. Oh, and, and thinking about it specifically lately as, as far as uh, Ahmed uh, Arbery's death and like right. that he was going for a run in his neighborhood. Like, so you can't just say like, oh, you can, you can be, ex- you can exercise anywhere because even that isn't true. Um, so that was, that was really the turning point for me uh, as really an, 
an, um, an activist within yoga. And I was already starting to, I was starting to feel like I didn't, I couldn't find a place where I belonged, but then it was like, man, if I don't feel like I belong and I am the poster child of, you know, yoga in the West, then, then there's, there's a lot to uncover here. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's where it really began. Awesome. Which is so interesting too, because I think that a lot of times, especially I'm a white woman as well, um, for listeners, it's, it's always this really weird inch, like it almost takes the breath out of you when you suddenly recognize your privilege, your privileges and, and in the most simplest ways, the things that we take for granted. And so just hearing about that conversation and just recognizing like I can go for a walk mm-hmm. and, and others can't. And, and, and even wellness, like if we, if we really like boil it down, like, and Gabby and I have talked about this for quite some time, like yoga in schools would make all the difference, especially inner city and not just inner city, but also rural areas because both of those, even though they seem to think that they are polar opposites when it comes to politics and injustice, they actually have very, very similar um, situations um, of being overlooked and and when it comes to disparities. So I just, I really think that that's so interesting. And so how, when you started navigating that, how did you kind of start to think differently or try to make things more accessible? Because I think like that's where I am as well in my activism is, and, and I know many, many people that own their own businesses, white people, are genuinely trying to navigate this with a pure heart. But a lot of times we can um, try to make things accessible or try to bring equity and it sometimes can come off harmful. So how did you kind of navigate that and educate yourself? And and what are you doing now? Yeah, (laughs) you know, it's, uh, I, I am really, I'm seeing a lot of yoga teachers, I'll keep it specific to yoga teachers and yoga studios and and, uh, businesses that are really taking a stand for the first time publicly uh, and and, uh, some doing better than others, right, in the way that they do it. Um, And, you know, I think of where I was six years ago and the insecurity that I felt knowing that this was a really important conversation and not wanting to mess it up, like not wanting to, because, because I did. And, you know, there, there were things, there were, uh, there was one particular experience where essentially I was being pushed into a direction that I didn't understand the terminology. I didn't understand what was going on. I was really misinterpreting, uh, what was, what was happening. And I can see that now five years later, but at the time it was just like, what is going on? And it was, you know, being led by a conversation that was really pushy from a white man. So then my own, my own stuff, right. Is getting projected in being really pushed by a white man to telling me what I need to be doing and me, you know, having to deal with my own, my own history of, um, relationship with, with men. And, um, so, so I feel, I feel really grateful that at this moment I have had this experience of knowing that I'm going to, I'm going to mess things up and it's going to be really painful because I'm really insecure and I really don't like when people don't like me. Like I, that's, and that's my own stuff that I have to deal with. Right. And so I have to be willing to show up even though that's a very real possibility because I can't do anything that's going to please everybody, no matter, no matter how calculated I am in, in what I say, because I'm trying to, to, it's just not going to happen. In the beginning for me, it was, I had, um, or I have a really good friend who's a black yoga teacher. And actually the first time I ever even met a black yoga teacher was in St. Louis. And I remember how confused I was by how confused I was <laughs> like, cause this was, this was before this was, you know, early on 2011, 2012, when I first moved out here. And I remember being like, Oh, there's a black yoga student in this workshop. And then I remember being like, Oh, she's talking to all those teachers. I wonder if she's in their teacher training and then being like, Oh, this is somebody who's a teacher. And, and like, just the fact that that's, that's the order that my brain tried to process this information and was just like, 
oh, something's, something's weird about this revelation. And also at this point, I'd been teaching for four years already. And was just like, how have I not, how have I not encountered this before? And the reality is, is I was in Boulder, Colorado at the time, which is a very uh, white community. Um, so uh, another friend of mine, so the friend of mine that I sat down with the first time I ever was just like, why aren't there more black folks who practice yoga? Like, I remember that conversation and, um, and I'm really grateful to have, have somebody who's such a good friend who was really open in that conversation. Cause I can only imagine what that was like, <laughs> like it had to have been, uh, like, I don't even know. Um, you know, so we had, we had a conversation about it, but it was predominantly talking about like religious perspective and spirituality and the, the misconception that yoga is a religion. And so not feeling like it was, it was really based in that, but that was, that was the start of it for me. Um, it really has been trying to surround myself with people who are different than me uh, and not just, and, and, and a wide variety of perspectives and experiences in life, because it's through the many that, that I am able to really connect with how connected we are, but I'm connected with how the power of how connected we are because of the different ways that we show up. It's like a light that shines through a prism and it shoots off all these rainbows in all these different directions. It's like, these are all individual rainbows that are shaped a little bit differently and hit at different points on the wall, but it's all coming from the same light. Uh, and there's this one thing that separates us. So there's two truths. There's the light that's shining through the prism and then there's the um, impact of the prism. And then there's my perspe- perception, my perspective of how I see all of those, all those little fragments of light. Um, so, you know, for me, my education has, my educating myself has been really listening. I have some really, really, um, close friendships that I am able to have really, uh, difficult conversations in, which helps me a lot because I need to feel really secure in order to really potentially get messy and make mistakes and uh and have somebody who's willing who's we have such a relationship that there's one person in particular my friend my friend amber who's our executive director for yoga buzz like we're we are really able to have um conversations that have completely just changed my perspective um on the world beyond race and beyond yoga and especially within race and yoga thank you for being so vulnerable like and just sharing I mean I think it's important for everyone to know right now I'm I mean I shared my story many times but I didn't really find my voice as a person of color until a few years ago um I had a lot of self-doubt a lot of self-hatred a lot of things I had to work through but I think once I did find my voice and started speaking out um it was very frustrating to witness other people that I considered really close friends remain silent on things like this. And so as we move into this 2020 shift and things are happening and people are finding their voice, I do want people to know like you are going to mess up and that's okay. The way that you learn is by showing up and then getting that feedback. So it's still really important to like be vocal, like get loud and then sit back and listen when people come back and say, hey, that was really great. I'm glad that you took that stand, but like, let's tweak this a little bit. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's, you know, for, for me over the years, it's like, I mean, there are, there are people who, uh, who I have tried to develop relationships with who, who have, I mean, straight up blocked me on social media and it's, and it's really been, uh, painful, um, because again, I'm like, well, they don't like me. And in some cases I don't even actually know exactly what happened. Like I have ideas, but like, they just kind of disappeared from the internet. And, you know, I have to realize that like some of the mistakes that I will make, will create a potentially irreparable separation um, because people have their own shit, right? Like they have their own stuff that they're going through and mistakes that I make, whether my intention might be very good, my impact may be very different than that. And I have to understand and be willing to accept that. And, um, and if I'm willing to continue to move forward while there may have been a, a split or, or a shutdown in a conversation with a particular person, um, what I have learned in the conversation that I continue to then have opens up so many more relationships. So, um, yeah, you gotta be willing, you gotta be willing to make mistakes and it's, it's hard and it's painful. And I think too, um, 
I think that we need to normalize the idea. And I think I saw this in like some type of meme, um, <laughs> but normalize the idea that it's okay to change our opinions and to morph when new information is given to us, mm-hmm. you know, and that's okay for that to happen, especially like right now, everyone, I feel like more people are standing up and they're being loud and they are making mistakes and the people it's causing what looks like divide, but that divide was already there. And so it's kind of like shining light on that. And if those people choose, I just wish that more people would lean in and listen. Um, and try to find, try to realize that there is some truth in every, you know, in, in most aspects, whether it's like in their own experience or not, and take away. And and right now, I feel like there are times where there's just a lot of shouting, and I've had a lot of people block me as well. And it, <coughs> excuse me, but ultimately, sorry. And I've had a lot of people block me as well. Um, but ultimately. Um, it's built more relationships and I've seen more people um, open up to the conversation of maybe their perspective, maybe their perspective is, is right in what they see, but they weren't given the whole image. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I just really wish that people would understand like the difference between racist and anti-racist and, and that it's, it's almost like a, it's, it's not a, it's very fluid. It's not, you're not racist all the time. You're not a racist. You can do racist things and anti-racist things Mm -hmm. and, and really understanding that there it's really an action word, um, kind of navigates like how we do things differently Mm -hmm. would be my experience. So I'm going to kind of redirect because I don't know a great way to segue into this, but we were talking a little bit before we started recording um, about some of the bypassing that's happening mm-hmm. and, and it's already been happening. Like if you listen to, I believe it's like episodes five, six, and seven, I hosted several panels of um, strong black women who work in the wellness community. So like yoga teachers and people who lead meditation classes and things like that, just talking about whiteness and wellness and how this bypassing is happening. I think right now, at least from my perspective and what I've been witnessing is almost like a doubling down and um, amplifying of this like bypass mentality of just, you know, if they were more into spirituality or more into this, then this wouldn't be happening and um, really just highlighting those ideas and those separations that exist within the wellness community. Um, Like in particular, I can recall a conversation that was happening um, and a woman was really just saying kind of like, uh, like completely dismissing the fact that people might not have access to work through the traumas that they already hold in order to move into the next step. Mm. But kind of just saying like, well, if people were manifesting something differently, then they wouldn't be in this situation. And so I'd like to go back, though, into the conversation that you guys were having right before we started recording um, about some of the bypassing that we're witnessing right now, sort of amplified kind of like Hulk level (laughs) bypassing that's happening right now in this um, climate. Yeah. You know, I mean, for me, it's funny because it's like, I am realizing what an echo chamber I'm in on my social media with my, my people that have been a part of the yoga buzz training and the yoga buzz community, because, you know, these are conversations that we have in our yoga teacher training. So it means there are uh, at least 170 people in the St. Louis area who have been made aware of these things, right? So then mm-hmm. I see I see all their stuff and I'm like, yeah, we got this, guys. And then it's like, oh, right, but we don't all got this. Yeah. <laughs> so so that, that reminder, um, you know, and I, well, so let me, I guess I'll pick a path <laughs> here. I get so excited and then my brain wants yeah. to tell five stories at once. <laughs> um, uh for me, the most liberating part of my yoga practice uh, happened when I had my mental health crisis six years ago, because I had spent so much time fighting with this part of myself that uh, was anxious and depressed and refusing to accept that because I should be better at yoga 
Like if I was just good at yoga, if I was really committed to this practice, I wouldn't have anxiety. I'm smarter than this. I'm stronger than this. It was very much just shaming. And once I realized that that isn't the case, like it's a part of who I am it doesn't make me less than. For me, I see it as just like an appendage that I have to figure out how to move through the world with, like just this like arm growing out of my head that like constantly is slapping me or covering my <laughs> eyes or like sticking its fingers up my nose. I've never imagined it like that before, but it's so true. <laughs> it is just kind of like, like all the time. Um, so that was really uh, powerful for me because I uh, really reclaimed my agency. It was like, this is part of who I am. These are practices that I can do to feel better. And it's not the only thing also, right? Like yoga is not a replacement for therapy, which is something that I was taught the opposite of until I started actually going to therapy. Um, and so that was, that was a, uh, an example of, of spiritual bypassing. Really, uh, it was spiritual bypassing and shaming, <laughs> if, if we're being real specific. Um, you know, and so... To then be in this place where, you know, part of the lesson that we get in yoga and other uh, places of spirituality is we are all one. Like, you know, namaste is often translated as like the light that shines within you shines within me. Like I acknowledge that we are, we are connected. And yes, that's true. And again, the analogy of the light hitting the, the, the refraction and going in all different directions. And uh, a, a lesson that, uh, that my yoga philosophy teacher back in the day, Douglas Brooks used to share is um, that there are three simultaneous truths. Uh, I'm something like you, I'm nothing like you, I'm nothing but you. And each of those things is true, right? Like I'm nothing like you. I have a completely different experience in the world because I am a white woman. I am, uh, you know, I battle mental illness. I battle fibromyalgia. Like I, I have a very specific experience. Um, than, than somebody who's in a bigger body or somebody who identifies as LGBTQ or somebody who is a person of color or, or has, um, lives with a disability or whatever. Like we have, I am nothing like anybody else because I'm unique and that's what's cool. Um, I'm something like you because I'm human. I know what it's like to be sad. I know what it's like to be angry. I know what it's like to experience loss and grief and love. Um, so, so we're alike. And then I'm nothing but you because that light, does shine within all of us. Like we are all part of this shared spark, but we have to acknowledge all three layers of that. Otherwise we miss some really important truths about, um, about our existence. I'm very much of the, uh, of the school of thought that, uh, of yoga teaching us as a way to not transcend this human experience. Mm -hmm. uh, but instead of the body being a problem that needs to be solved and like achieving liberation to, you know, go back out into the supreme consciousness, this is a really unique opportunity to experience consciousness from a very limited perspective. We get to have the experience of remembering because we forget. I always give the example of like my favorite thing. Yeah, <laughs> my, favorite, my favorite thing is opening up uh, the freezer to discover that I've bought ice cream sandwiches, which I don't rare. <laughs> I rarely do. I haven't done in years, but I have this very real memory of the times when I've opened it up and been like, "Oh shit, ice cream sandwiches! This is the best day ever!" <laughs> and it's like I wouldn't have that spark of joy if I hadn't forgotten that I bought ice cream sandwiches. And so, um, you know, it's that spark of joy of remembering that we are deeply connected. And then it's also the, the gut-wrenching pain of recognizing all that separates us too, which again, is part of the human experience. Um, so my, my, life, my, my life is not a problem to be solved. My life is a gift to be celebrated in this really unique uh, and individual and sometimes painful way. So, you know, as far as, as far as the spiritual bypassing goes, like that's a lot, of, that's a lot to hold at once, right? Like that's a lot of, it'd be easier if it was just one truth that I got to move towards, but, um, it makes it, it makes it harder. It makes us have to recognize our shortcomings as people. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, uh, it makes us have to deal with the imperfections of who we are which I think a lot of times people are coming to a spiritual practice to try to just completely, well, bypass, right? <laughs> to just completely be like, nope, not me, because love and light, thoughts and prayers, namaste. Yeah, right. and it totally dismisses the human experience, which is, like you said, it's, that's one of the things that really frustrated me with 
um, a lot of the spiritual community and a lot of thought leaders was just like this idea that the whole purpose of this, and maybe that's why I don't um, align with any one religion. It's just that I don't believe that my existence here is just to kind of get through this so I can get back to where I came from. It's to really experience this because there's learning to be had. That's why Mm. I'm here. (laughs) Yeah, like I'm here to experience all of this, the hardships, the pain, the joy that comes from knowing that pain. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I'm glad that you said that it just kind of was like a, it gave me chill. It was just a confirmation of like, I'm not the only person, like the only weirdo who thinks like I'm here to be human for a reason. Right. It's, it's, you know, and I, as, as we're talking here, I'm thinking of like in, in yoga, philosophy and Hindu philosophy, there's karma, right? And karma is action. It's not tit for tat. It's not like you Mm -hmm. trip one person and then somebody's going to trip you, right? Um, And there's three different kinds of karma. There's, and it's generally given as like the depiction of an archer. So you've got the karma that is the arrow that's in your quiver, in your arrow holder (laughs) on your back. And so it's, it's an action that you haven't even taken yet. You have full choice and uh, ownership over when you pull that arrow and how you're going to shoot that arrow. There's the, uh, the type of karma. That's the arrow that's in the bow with the string drawn back. And you got to act quickly because that, that arrow is about to go out into the world. Like action has to be taken immediately. And then there's the arrow that's already been loosed and it is, it is on its way. It's either hit some, uh, something or it's about to hit something and you can't really do anything about it. Right. And so in, um, in a lot of the yogic teachings, the idea is that, you know, through reincarnation, we come back over and over again until we hit a point where we have no karma. Like we've literally, we have no impact on the world. We live so neutrally. And then we get reabsorbed back in with the divine consciousness until then, you know, we have to deal with all this karma Um, and so that's, that's really where we all are in our existence right now is we are in a place where there's a bunch of arrows that are, that are like, they're on fire. They're setting things on fire. It's all a hot mess. (laughs) And then there's a bunch of arrows that we're all holding that we have to address these arrows. Cause this is what we have to, we, we are in a really dire situation, whether it's climate change, whether it's white supremacy and, and the impact of racism, whether it's all of the things right um and so to to refuse to address those things I feel like you are creating more karma so if you're Mm -hmm. saying that you're trying to like up level and get past all of this because you're trying to live a karma neutral life (laughs) and so that you can be reabsorbed back in with the divine consciousness uh you're actually creating more karma in your inaction Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're, you're doing it wrong anyway. <laughs> like if that's going to be your argument. Um, yeah, that, that all just kind of happened in my head in real time. So you're, you're welcome. And it was brilliant. It was yeah, absolutely brilliant. Action. It's exactly. absolutely, it's absolutely an action. When you, when you don't take action in times where action is required, you are, you're making a choice there. You're yeah. taking that path. Yeah. Well, I think also, I I really am glad that you shared those three principles um, uh, of the philosophy too, because I I do see that maybe that is where um, that disconnection happens, is that we need to remember that there are three simultaneous truths. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of times, like what I particularly see in the communities that I am in is that we're all focused on one truth. And, and, and when we focus on that and forget about the other things, like you said, um, we, we end up not only bypassing, but causing a lot of, a lot of harm. Um, and, and then that leads into, like you said, um, shooting more arrows. So it is, it is really interesting to see the spiritual community, especially when it comes to yoga in different practices of yoga, um, for me personally, it's really hard to see yoga teachers, yoga businesses, not understand that this is, these are the issues that yoga is meant to help. Or in, I, I'm not, I feel like I'm not using the proper term terminology, but like, these are the very issues that you were trained for, like, what are you doing? And so it it kind of, it kind of gets, it kind of, 
is frustrating. And then to see like the blind almost or the confused, because I don't want to say blind. I think confused because once again, we go back to what I said before, like if we're presented with new information, we have to be willing to accept that. We have to be willing. And like you said, we have to be willing to accept that we're going to be wrong um, at times. Um, So it's just kind of like, I don't, I don't think they're blind. I think they're just a bit confused, but to see them leading packs of people down these rabbit holes of really harmful shit. Yeah. I'm like, this is a problem. And, and so I'm really glad to hear, um, you know, that you're having these conversations and that you are taking these actions that are probably really freaking uncomfortable. Um, (laughs) the fact that you're doing that is so brave. Um, and just really freaking awesome. It's, it's important. And, you know, one of the, one of the, well, my brain just split into two, which story am I going to choose? <laughs> which, which fork in the road am I going to take? Um, I've been thinking, I thought I had this thought yesterday or a couple of days ago while I was brushing my teeth. It was one of the days where I remembered to brush my teeth. And, um, <laughs> And I was thinking about people who say, you know, I'm, I'm an empath. And so I, you know, I have to, I have, I, people who just sort of avoid confrontations or avoid these difficult conversations because they're an empath and it just impacts them so, so deeply. And I, you know, I'm, I am definitely uh, very empathic and painfully so sometimes. Right. But then I got to thinking like, what's the line between an empath and somebody who's experienced trauma that's being deeply triggered by intense emotions that other people are feeling. Like there's, there's, a, there's a line there that I, and maybe a Venn diagram, right, of like some overlap between those two. But I think that there are, um, you know, there's a lot of people come to yoga and, and experience healing. And that's oftentimes what drives people to want to teach yoga, right? And so you have a bunch of people who have come to this practice because they've healed through something or they've experienced or whatever, right? And then, uh, and then you put them in these really challenging conversations. And, and I think that there's sometimes this like, no, this is my happy place. This is the safe place that I found. I don't want to have to experience that pain and discomfort again. I thought I'd gotten past it. Um, So I've been thinking about that a lot lately. Yeah, no, I totally, totally get that. I I think um, that's something else I've seen people kind of be like, in some of the groups that I'm in, be like, oh man, why are we talking about that here? This is my one place to like get away from that. It's like, well, for some people getting away from that is not an option. And that's why we have to make this, you know, it's going to feel uncomfortable. We have to have these conversations and we have to bring that into every single space because that's how we start to make change. Because my thought with all of the things that are happening right now is even if you don't change your mind, if I make you uncomfortable enough, you'll change your position. Mm. Yeah. So whether you decide that you agree with whatever I'm saying or whatever, if I can make you uncomfortable enough to move, that's all I need right now. Yeah. <laughs> we can work on changing your mind later. Yeah. Well, and if, if you've got a, if you've got, I think a lot of what's happening too is you have a lot of, um, well, first of all, you've had the last few months where we've all been in survival mode because of a global Mm -hmm. pandemic, right? So we're already experiencing a level of uh, fear, either economic survival, uh, health survival, et cetera. Um, And then you have some people within that experience who have had to really slow down in a way that they haven't maybe for a long time. So they're feeling more deeply, right? So I think that 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 is what has made the last few weeks so intense. And you've now got a bunch of people. What I see is a lot of people who are afraid of being on the wrong side of history, right? So they're doing a a type of people pleasing because they want to, they want to prove that they're, they're committed to this. Um, uh, And so that works. I mean, if, if, if white guilt is going to be what pushes some more white yoga teachers into educating themselves so that they don't look stupid, it's, it's self-serving, but that's where I've come from a lot of the time. If I'm being completely honest, I don't want to look like an a-hole. So what do I need to, I'm going to take some time. I'm going to go learn. I'm going to listen and I'm going to read. And then I'm going to come back and be like, 
here's, here's how I'm choosing to take action. Uh, instead of just being like, I'm going to retweet everything that I see by a, a black yoga teacher. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Build relationships um, to move forward from. Yeah. I think even if the, even if the initial, like, this is why um, I struggled for a while with like goat yoga and stuff like that. I was like, man, why? Like, why? It's kind of like realizing. And then I was thinking, you know what? If that gets somebody to step their foot in and get on a mat and then they realize, holy shit, I love this. I'm going to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Then like, why the fuck not? Why right. not? Like, well, and that's, I, I'm the girl who started yoga at breweries, right? <laughs> and it's like, I, I, there are people who, when we started doing yoga at breweries, immediately made their stamp of disapproval because we were combining yoga and alcohol. Though to be clear, our stance is always yoga before beer, you're in the clear. Beer before yoga is a bad idea. Like, like let's do one thing and then another if that's what you're going to do. And then it was like, we need to make sure that it's not just beer. Like the beer afterwards is a social experience. Like it's a way to connect in community. And so let's make sure that we have experiences that are non-alcohol based because yoga is a place for people in recovery as well. And so we got to, we got to recognize that and yoga to brewery might be what brings somebody in for the first time. Right. Um, so, you know, here I am, here I am with, you know, all the, all the baskets that I'm carrying through the work that, that we've been trying to do and saying like, we have to be respectful of the roots of the practice of yoga. We have to make it accessible and we're doing yoga and breweries sometimes. And it again, feels really counter and, it's worked. I mean, it's, it's worked and, uh, and we're able to trick people into having more conversations a little bit yeah. more deep, uh, within the, the conversation of yoga, if they're ready. And a lot, some of them are, and that's, a, that's okay too. Like you gotta, you can't push anybody onto their path. But a seed is planted. And once it's planted, it's going most of, you know what? I kill all my plants. So maybe it won't always grow. <laughs> But maybe you could put another one down another time and it'll, it'll pop up, you know? Right, <laughs> right. exactly, exactly. It's, you know, I mean, yeah. That's, I, I have a lot of conflicting feelings about what I do all the time, both as a white woman teaching the practice of yoga who didn't really take into consideration respecting its roots until about halfway through my teaching career, being somebody who is really committed to... Um, social justice who then teaches or has these events that sometimes maybe feel like it's trivializing the practice of yoga from the outside perspective. Again, that's not the intention. Doesn't mean it's not the impact. Also goat yoga is the bane of my existence because (laughs) we have done, we have done like 600 pop-up yoga classes over the last six years in St. Louis. And where, where are my viral posts? Like where's my interview? I mean, we do yoga under the planet at the planetarium under the stars. Which was amazing. Like we, we do all this cool shit. Where's my, where's my, where's, where's mine? (laughs) That's the only reason why it's the bane of my existence is because I'm like, I do cool shit too. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, no, the the Science Center uh planetarium yoga is amazing. Um yeah, but I yeah, I really like that you've talked about a lot of those things that just kind of I feel like you know, I'm newer to this whole community. Like I got into yoga because I was trying to help clients. Like I didn't even um <laughs> I didn't even do yoga. Like I never even tried to practice, like, you know, asana was not like a word I even, in fact, I think I called it something different because it was like a CRM program that you could use like for business. Mm. So it was like not on my radar and, um, coming into the community, not even that long ago, these discussions were just not being had. Like nobody was talking about this kind of stuff. And so I'm really glad that not only are people getting like more and more, is it becoming something that's accessible? Um, because, like something that we talked about in that panel series that I did was just that people maybe don't weren't going into these spaces because it didn't feel comfortable. Even if somebody was like, Hey, here's a free class. Mm-hmm. Um, people just weren't showing up because it, the rest of the class didn't look like them right. or um, something that I also love about yoga buzz. I've noticed that every event that I've come to, you always have someone 
making the postures more accessible to people in different bodies. Mm -hmm. Um, I've always seen somebody have a chair out leading people who might need a little bit more help with, you know, chair yoga. Um, and also just having somebody even just modify postures for somebody who's on their mat and, um, doesn't need the, the extra tools, um, like props or bolsters or whatever, um, still making it accessible for them. So, um, I think we call that, it we call it chair interpreting. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's wonderful. But I mean, I've seen people. You know, I, I even I actually studied yoga in India, and that wasn't even something that we discussed. Mm-hmm. So I think that some some of the um, Western practices and inclusivity that we've included in all of these things and the conversations that we're having now, um, it's just a wonderful thing to witness and to experience. Yeah. And something that I really loved about Yoga Buzz from the moment that I ever went to one of your events, just being like, oh shit, I've never seen anybody do that before. Or, I didn't yeah. even know that was an option. And, and here it is. And, and it, again, it comes from these conversations that I've had with folks. And so, you know, when Yoga Buzz started, the first like outreach thing that we did was um, a yoga studio scholarship program. So we were making it for people who weren't able to afford practicing yoga at, at a studio. We were awarding a year long scholarship to these different studios. And we, we were working with like a dozen different um, locally owned yoga studios here in town. It was super, it was super cool. Um, And again, we ended up with primarily the same demographic that was applying for the scholarships who had a real financial need um, and uh, period. Um, there was, uh, there was, uh, a couple students who didn't like shared at one point, like didn't feel comfortable going into the studio that they were placed at. And the studio that I had placed them at was the one that I truly felt was going to be the most welcoming for them uh, as somebody in a bigger body. And, uh, and that was not the case. And so it, it led to this conversation of like, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not having my needs met or supported in a yoga class. And it was like, well, you're not until, until people understand what you need. And so it was like that student ended up going through a teacher training and is, is the person who really helped us develop the idea of chair interpreting because it's what they needed for their own body. And, um, and so we then recognized sort of in that moment that like, we can't, just try to encourage more people to go to the yoga studios in town. We have to focus first on the representation of who a yoga teacher is. And, and that, that um, feels really superficial to be like, just we need teachers that look like a lot of different people and have a lot of different practices and what that looks like physically. But, but it is so incredibly important. And to watch over the last six years, how the demographic of people that are showing up to our events, uh, just the visual of it has shifted and changed so much. And I'm so, so proud of um, what the Yoga Buzz team has done to to create a space that really does feel safe for uh, bigger bodies, for people of color, for different ages and abilities. Like we have people who, I mean, we've had students who are in their eighties that come to these classes Mm -hmm. and it's just so badass. Um, so, so yeah, so that's, that's when we really shifted our focus from placing people at yoga studios to practice to our yoga teacher training. Cause it was like, that's, that's what our, that's what our city and the yoga world in general needs. So to segue into another thing I want to talk about, because this is also um, something that you guys are doing right now, uh, or it's starting next week, correct? Is it the yoga week? It's yes. Next week? Okay. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So so St. Louis Yoga Week is something separate of Yoga Buzz, but it's something that Yoga Buzz is uh, helping get off the ground this year. Um, it's something that we've talked about for a long time, wanting to celebrate St. Louis uh, all of the yoga meditation and mindfulness in St. Louis, you know, yoga buzz, we have, we have a very specific approach, which is accessibility and inclusivity and all of that. And so it means that we, we have, uh, a tight knit community of the teachers that we're placing in these opportunities to teach that are pretty high profile a lot of the times in, you know, in comparison to other yoga teaching gigs in the city. And, you know, so being really doing our best to be intentional in that. Um, so, uh, so St. Louis yoga week is then a way to just anybody who wants to be involved. Cause it doesn't mean there's one yoga that's better than another. Like I want to make mm-hmm. that clear. Like there's, there's different approaches and some people are, 
all about the bendy head standy stuff. And some people are all about the sitting and meditating quietly stuff. And like, it's all, it's all valid. Um, and you know, my practice has evolved so much in the 20 years that I've been doing the yogas. Um, <laughs> so St. Louis yoga week, uh, we were like, okay, 2020 is going to be the year. We're going to throw this whole week long party. We're going to have all these big events. We're going to have uh, a full day of, uh, conferences at, uh, and we'd already booked the venue. And then it was like, none of that is happening. Yes. <laughs> so it was, it was, uh, you know, this decision of, do we not do it? Do we wait? Or do we just push forward anyway? So we, we got this really cool, uh, advisory committee together to come up with, you know, how, how we, how we do it. And so it's all online or it's primarily online, right? It's kind of cool. Cause the way that the timing works out is that, um, yoga studios in the city of St. Louis are allowed to open starting on Monday, uh, mm -hmm. which is the second day of St. Louis yoga week. So the timing kind of worked out cool, but we were also very adamant about doing it so that it ended on June 21st, which, which is international day of yoga, which is, um, you know, uh, an international event that was founded in India to celebrate India's gift to the world. Um, so, uh, you know, so trying to start a new concept in the middle of a pandemic that then there's the additional <laughs> layer of a uh, long overdue social revolution um, yeah. is is not something that I would recommend people intentionally do. <laughs> um, and I'm really, really proud of how this has come together. And, uh, you know, the first day is going to be kicked off uh, on the official St. Louis Yoga Week channels by our friends at The Collective, which is a nonprofit here in town. They have a studio up in Old North, and their mission is to share yoga and wellness with the Black community. Um, uh, a couple of the founding members actually went through the Yoga Buzz teacher training program, and we're, uh, each training program that we've had, we've had seven and a half because we had to <laughs> we had to postpone the spring one this year but we've had all these groups and learning um everything that we do as an organization has grown and evolved because of the conversations that we've had in this really beautiful community that are different each time um so you know what that community contributed was was a lot for yoga buzz um anyway so they're kicking it off on sunday uh, in the evening, they are hosting a conversation with Dr. Gail Parker, who has a new book that's um, uh, just coming out called Restorative Yoga for Ethnic and Race-Based Stress and Trauma. Um, so to have that be how we're starting the conversation of St. Louis Yoga Week, um, I'm, I just, that just gives me all the good feelings um, because you know, whether it's, it's really making sure that we're involving and uplifting, um, the black yoga teachers in our community, um, also really centering a lot of the, the Desi and Indian, uh, teachers in the, in the community and not just asana, but like, we're talking about, we've got a gentleman named Dr. Santanam, who's going to be talking about the Bhagavad Gita. We have mm -hmm. Rahul, uh, Rahul Parikh, who's the great, great grandson of Gandhi, who uh, is here in St. Louis. And he's going to be talking about the yoga sutras. And it's just, uh, I really wish all of this was going to be in person uh, because it's so cool. And I'm really excited that it's all going to be online because it means that people can come and join in or revisit these videos later and get this really big perspective of what yoga in St. Louis is and who is doing it and, and, and all of that. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to do it again yeah. <laughs> in the future. Um, and really excited for this next week. Yeah, it's like almost divinely timed though that this little break is coming, like a little a little opportunity for breathing, for healing, for learning and perspective. And also that it's offered online right now where people might be struggling with um, being able to make time or find transportation and, and mm -hmm. cost might be an issue that they you know, I know sometimes internet access might not be as accessible either, right. but it's a little bit more accessible for a lot more people to be able to participate in these activities and these sharings. And like, I'm super excited too. I'm like, what can I move on my calendar and make sure I can watch this stuff live? <laughs> so I don't get to watch the replay because I think it's so fun when it's super interactive. But yeah. Um, yeah, I'm excited to see what comes out of this. Me too. It's, you know, I've just, I've been in this place where I'm just like, I can't control 
a lot of things. I can't control how many people are going to participate, you know, and, and obviously numbers doesn't make something successful and, you know, and numbers feel like success, (laughs) but, but, you know, where I, where I am is, is really just genuinely, uh, I hope, I hope as many people as possible participate in this at some point next week or find out about it afterwards and come back and review it because it's, um, it's something that you don't, it's something that you don't often see. Uh, you don't see that cross-cultural learning in the yoga world. I mean, I, I certainly had primarily white yoga teachers for a really long time. And I've, I've intentionally now gone to seek out different voices to learn from um, because, because it's of such value. And I, Mm -hmm. my ability to grow as a human and as a yogi is, um, is just uh, amplified because of the, uh, the honor of listening to others with different perspectives. I just keep, I just keep getting more and more of the world that I get to look at. Yeah, it's beautiful. And so just before we go, cause mm-hmm. hashtag mom life, um, <laughs> how are things with your little, we talked a little bit. I feel like we're living like a parallel parenting lifestyle and I love it. Um, he's how's... real cute. I'm going to find, <laughs> uh, I'm going to find a video to just, hold up in front of the, uh, in front of the thing here, uh, because he's, he's, (laughs) that's perfect. He's in this phase. He just yells. (laughs) Yells. That is perfect. I love it. And then I yell with him and it's super cathartic and he dances constantly. He's 15 months old and he just like, he gets, he gets low. I don't know where he's picking up these moves. Like he throws his elbow <laughs> around, he drops his booty down low. And I'm just like, this is, this is amazing. Uh, and it, I'm, I'm so grateful to have um, this weird little roommate to be stuck at home with. Yes. <laughs> Cause really like our life, my husband and my life has not changed that much in the last couple months. Cause we were already pretty much stay at homing. <laughs> like yeah. both of our jobs have been entrepreneurial in nature. So we kind of build our own schedule. We've not really had, well, we've not had any sort of main, uh, childcare. So we just have been trying to juggle all of this for all this while anyway. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, we're just like, we've already kind of made our home a fortress of never leaving. So I, well. <laughs> I love that. And 15 months is such a fun age. I love yeah. it. My favorite yeah. ages are like eight months to 18 months is like my favorite because yeah. they're not quite talking back yet. But then once right. you start to get like towards that two years old, they start to talk back and then you're like, whoa. Yeah, I know my husband is uh, constantly just like god I, I hope he never like I kind of don't ever want him to start to talk because he's just so much <laughs> cuter right now than I imagine he'll be in the future <laughs> yeah yeah well um Allie had to step away for a moment for some work stuff but I want to thank you so so much for taking the time to sit with us today to continue these conversations that are really being highlighted right now with everything that's happening in our world um and this extra opportunity we've been given the past few months um Though for some, maybe they don't have the privilege of having that extra time and space to sit. Mm -hmm. For many of us, we've had this opportunity to really sit with ourselves and um, do some maybe introspective work that previously we had not been able to do. So um, just continuing those conversations and maybe giving people a little bit more to sit and think about. Um, And for anyone who catches this, I'm going to try to drop this out before next week. Uh, Tune in. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. You can look up St. Louis Yoga Week. Things are going to be online, so we would love to have you join in. Um, and yeah, do you have anything you'd like to say in closing? I mean, the well, I mean, I could probably talk for five more hours, but um, <laughs> uh, the thing that I'll say about St. Louis Yoga Week, kind of what's at the center of it this year, is uh, we're raising money for the Yoga Teacher Wellness or Yoga Teacher Relief Fund, St. Louis Yoga Teacher Relief Fund, um, and so it's it's specifically to support two categories of yoga teachers in our community: those who have been seriously economically impacted by COVID nineteen disruptions, uh, and also for Black yoga teachers who are sharing yoga within their communities, so that we can. Uh, um, support so that there's financial support to keep doing whatever it is uh, that that 
any, that either of that those two categories of folks are doing because this this work is really needed and it's hard to make it as a yoga teacher it's damn near impossible yeah. um and so we and and oftentimes undervalued and underpaid so want want to just share that love so if you're able to make a contribution you can go to uh, stlyogaweek.com and donate there to our gofundme we also have some really cool swag that we're selling so like a st louis yoga retreat in a box kit um, that's all st louis based uh, businesses primarily women owned and people of color owned as well which i am really i'm really proud to have to have that piece to share uh, and proceeds will all benefit the fund and if you are a yoga teacher in the St. Louis area who who identified with anything that I just said a moment ago uh, I hope you'll apply uh, we'll be accepting applications through the end of June 21st uh, for for the grants so perfect thank you so much this was great I I I think the hardest part for me of having to stay at home is that I d I've not had the chance to have these kind of conversations in person and they exhaust me to have online through comments. So, so thank you. I feel, I feel a little invigorated today. Awesome. I'm, well, I'm glad we could have this talk. I want to thank you again so much. And um, everyone, if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a comment or a rating on iTunes. Um, and we'll catch you all soon. Bye.